Welcome to Real Indigenous, where these Real Indigenous peeps get real about what's on our screens and everything in between. And this week, we got some cool-ass motherfuckers on here who are bringing our thoughts, feelings, and critical minds. So let's all introduce ourselves, and let's start with our, I guess, recurring <laughs> guest, who is now kind of like the regular, uh, like our Fonzie to uh, Happy Days, uh, Sunrise. Introduce yourself, tell us who you are and what you is. Ah, Marawika, Nana Nitsa, Sunrise Tipikani. I'm Sunrise Tipikani, and I, I guess I do lots of things. I definitely teach. Uh, I try to be on set. Uh, sometimes you program for festivals, and then um, I watch a lot of stuff. Jay Snap. Marawika, Jason A. Snap, uh, uh, Comanche Muskogee, uh, filmmaker, critic. Glad to see you guys. Glad to be here. Pagalayevsi, Uvanga Angela, and I am in PR, actually public affairs, so, but I consume a lot of media and have been in the local industry for, gosh, how long now? 15 years? When was, when was your film, Sunrise? Oh, Sunrise is short was like the beginning of three of us here. My, which short? The, uh, the Durov movie? That no, one? before that. Uh, dance. Uh, it was the what dancing is one. Oh, contest is what it was called. Contest, contest. yeah, that's it. Wow, yeah, that's. I mean, speaking of 2006, I think that's 2006. It was like my second short I was ever in. You were so good in that. Oh. That's like one of the best scenes. Oh, shit. Uh, what about me, dude? Oh yeah, you were good. <laughs> <laughs> I smoked oh, yeah. that cigarette, man. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> twenty takes smoking a cigarette, fucking up every line. <laughs> And the glare on your glasses. I remember there was something about the glare on your glasses. Oh, y'all had to put that Vaseline on it, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I couldn't clean them. I was like bumping the walls and shit. Yeah, but it looked good. And Sunrise, he was he was my mentor on my first film. What? Yeah, American Indian Graffiti. Sunrise was there. I for was me. I was I was like your colleague. I wasn't like a mentor. I was yes, like I learned from you, son. We were in the weeds together. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, either way, you were you were you were my wing beneath my wing or wind. What, is it? what the fuck? Wind. You were my he, wind he was, beneath my wing. He was your huckleberry. On my wing. His chicken wing. We need the wind. He's my chicken wing to my chicken leg. Because those are my really favorite good. parts of a chicken: the leg and the wing. Okay, so tonight we have Tonight we're going to talk more about prey and about native cinema so thanks for joining us and we'll get started yeah let's talk let's talk about prey yeah. since you started jabbing about it well I, I read something interesting on on a, a reddit thread how they were um well it's, uh, a lot of people will always assume that all indigenous cultures are matriarchal right mm -hmm. right and so they were like saying kind of inferring that comanche were matriarch uh mat yeah matriarchal and I was always of the impression that we're like, we kind of were more patriarchal, you know, but there was another discussion that was like, well, I mean, that evolves over time, which is also relevant. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Sundance? Uh, Sundance. Sunrise. <laughs> Sundance. <laughs> Sundance, Sunrise. Totally started uh, that. <laughs> that. It's because we were talking about Sundance earlier. Yeah, I, I mean... I've always been, I feel like the way that I've always been taught is that we've been 
patriarchal, especially when it comes to like official leadership, when you pass somebody something and mm-hmm. somebody's the leader in like a negotiations or like, you know, going to war or whatever. It's like I'm a man. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. But like the more that I kind of get older and we have discussions among each other, especially like older people, mm-hmm. there becomes this discussion about, well, who's really in charge when the men are not in the camp, which is kind of what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I yeah. guess there's like this, you know, this chief that's there, but there's always been this sticking point in the movie. Every version that I've looked at, I was mm-hmm. like, I was asking, where are all the men? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of young men. And this, it mm-hmm. seems like, you know, this, this is like their first out outing to like protect the tribe or like to use their skills so Mm -hmm. where are the men i mean it's sort of implied because there's like these you know colonizers that there's probably like some something going on somewhere else that like you know the men are fighting somewhere or they're like maybe out collecting food and gonna bring it back Mm -hmm. Um, or there could be something else larger going on that like the predator had some influence and now they're wounded or whatever um but I thought mm-hmm. that was an interesting circumstance. And that brings up this I, this question when when the chief, like the, the head, older man, if he's going to die, like who's in charge? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. And it probably would, it'd probably still be like the bravest or the smartest or the oldest of the mm-hmm. men that are left and most likely some relative to that family line. Until yeah. the events unfold that do. But and I, I almost wonder if it, I mean, there was like a couple of top lines I had was just like, okay, this was these are not indigenous writers, you know, it's not indigenous writers, not indigenous director. And then kind of like a hot take is like this tribe could be any tribe. Our tribe, basically, they're not necessarily you the things that we're known for being like lords of the plains you know we're known for our horsemanship and like uh that's like in the 1800s kind of like our heyday was like really empire kind of stuff but he didn't choose to use any of that and it wouldn't have worked for the story that they created because it's primarily like hand-to-hand combat with like an axe and so it's like that's interesting that like and um it kind of makes me think like if if an actual comanche would have written that i i would have been like well let's put us on horses and let's let's show us off like this is what we're known for so it's yeah, like they wouldn't have worked with this female empowerment story which is great don't get me wrong but it's like that i don't know if that would work with you know again when we go back to this whole day whole, whole idea of patriarchy it's like um i don't know if it would work with that kind of that uh approach that aesthetic what were you gonna say Tully? sorry yeah, yeah. One of the things that that was one of the talking points that Jane had in some of her interviews was that mm-hmm. she made them put a scene with a Comanche riding a horse because that was her thing. She was like, "We're horse people. We are, you know, horse totally. riders. We're known for our, you know, horsemanship." Mm-hmm. And what is you guys know what the history of the horse with uh, your tribe is and how the horse came to you or anything like that. Well, from my my idea, what from what I've learned is like the you know sixteen eighty the Pueblo Revolt happens, and then all of those horses are just spread across you know the plains, the Southwest, 
and we weren't really horse people until we, we are not known for being horse people until we get acquired this horse and um, known to be what we are now known for. Um, then in this particular era that they set this, uh, the film in is it's um, earlier kind of than we, I guess we would have really been, you well, know. Wasn't it 1715? So it would be after that. Yeah. It would be after that, but not as like, it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's close to like the era of like us being like really empire building. I'm not a historian by any means, but yeah, it was like if the 1800s, I would think it's like really when things were really happening for us, I think. Um, don't quote me on that, but <laughs> do a Wikipedia search. But yeah, it's like they chose that, that chose, they chose that era as like, it's just a weird time period to choose, you know. So there's a couple things about this, and th this is getting into more specifics, I guess, that mm -hmm. one way that I, I interpret it being more Comanche than not, mm -hmm. it is a weird time period because it's not our heyday, but um, it, we were in the area that we're seeing, um, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's like at that point, there were various bands that were moving in different directions, and mm -hmm. there probably would have been a band much lower um, in the plains and probably interacting in the area of, of the Pueblo Revolt where there's horses happening and it wouldn't be this particular band that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, and we were, you know, up there. I, the way I took it, it was a, this is a transitionary period. It isn't a film between like, you know, not contact and contact in two ways, but also mm -hmm. it's also, it seems like it's about transitioning from uh, one state as like a child to becoming an adult and then mm -hmm. it's also kind of a period where we used to be part of like the Shoshone and then now we're going to become just the Comanche. Mm -hmm. So like it was working on that level of symbolism for me. Mm -hmm. And it's in the area where we probably would have split off from the Shoshone. Um, and, you know, there could have been a band that was lingering around in that area before horses. But there's one thing that happens like she immediately when she gets up and goes out of the teepee and is like doing her due diligence for the day. The first thing she does is she's like pulling out these roots from the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and we just take it for granted that that's part of like the uh, food or the medicine or whatever. But for me, that uh, moment was an indication of very specific Comanche band, which mm -hmm. would have been our root eaters or the Yamper, Yamperikas. I never know how to say it, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I read it when I say it. But that mm -hmm. particular band, I mean, historically, really, um, I think was probably more southern than what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. But all of these things, I was thinking in a way where it's like, so this is we're in transitionary phase where we're looking at the Yamperikas and they're going to learn how to be um, more active than what they were known for. Well, which is like you know setting settling down a little bit dealing with roots perhaps a little bit more of a vegetarian diet than like animal so the fact that she's like going after animals it felt like was something that was like you know a, another indication of transition um mm. now this is just me reading into all this i don't know how much mm. jane uh mentioned any of this mm -hmm. uh, and i'm pretty sure that dan um didn't know any of these details um, mm -hmm. I did mention the root when I looked at the very early rough cut in December. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is really amazing. Cause like now I know it's very specifically about one band of Comanches and some things make a lot more sense about where they are 
mm-hmm. um, and um, maybe why they might be more accepting of women than other tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe why also they're not interacting with horses because the, the those tribes would be much lower and most likely like the Panataka, most likely the Kuatahata, um, but mm-hmm. uh, perhaps also not the Yamparika. Now, there's also this story that <clears throat> I think that the Yamparika band is one that had fewer people um, than other bands. And I feel, now I don't, don't quote me on this either, but I feel like <laughs> there was, there was some story I was told where it's like, some of them went off somewhere, you know, like there's that story of like, where did they go? And, mm-hmm. and that um, may be just like, you know, uh, filling in some gaps between like the fact that there's like aliens coming down and there's a possible another film just made me really excited that like, okay, this is sort of like a story about where they went mm-hmm. um, or possibly what happened if there were fewer of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I feel like I wouldn't have known any of that if, if, if Amber's character wasn't looking and pulling out like these roots and it wasn't such a focus, like almost immediately when she's back integrated into the camp. Um but also this this idea of men missing, I think is a really interesting one. Um, mm-hmm. specifically about our tribe also. I feel like it's a message to our tribe. I've always had this feeling. Now I may offend people. So this is just my personal feeling. And it's it's a it's an artist making this statement. Mm-hmm. My feeling is that there are so many tribes that had that had gotten to a point of being like a, a functional tribe before Western expansion interceded and, Mm -hmm. and allowed them to develop even more. So like, there are definitely more tribes where I feel like there are some tribes that basically got their act together before we did about a lot of things, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. the way that I interpret that is just like, we were in transition. We were like in a young adulthood and then all of a sudden we've just incarcerated and then we can no longer develop as a nation. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like some of our own tr- struggles to become a tribe that's like civilized or as competitive with other tribes about various things, language and business and sovereignty, I think rise from this fact that we like got to a point where we were about to really develop culturally and then we couldn't. And then we just, it was just survival mode. And then, you know, maybe we were stuck at that place or slow progression from there, regression. Mm -hmm. And um, so I kind of see this tribe that we're looking at as like a indication that like, this is where the Comanches are right now. It's like, we're all still sort of like young adults and we're still trying to figure out how to become adults. And and part of what's going to happen in that process is like just the acceptance of alternatives to tradition tradition including like patriarchy you know all that's like you know very artistic uh interpretation you know it's a deep read yeah deep read read. and that's like it's it's amazing to me that like you know like i i didn't have these thoughts without the movie yeah and you know i mentioned some of these things in my comments and it felt like some of these things stayed there because maybe of those comments Mm -hmm. Clearly, they're probably accidental. I don't. I don't think that Jane thinks about her tribe that way. I don't think that Dan thinks about her tribe that way. I feel like you have a very intimate knowledge of like what's going on and 
day-to-day just politics or you know ongoings with the tribe um, mm-hmm. to really see all that but i thought that was um amazing accident and um uh another reason maybe why we don't see men maybe it's another reason why we see them in transition Hmm. i have a quick question does anybody know the number of citizens in your native nation like at that time versus now well what do we have like 20 25,000 now is that what it is is it 25 i thought i felt like it was yeah, that probably is right because it's like eight thousand or something here in the state, and then there's like thirteen or something outside. So I guess that's, that's my guess. Right. Yeah. yeah, but I I don't know about then. I have no idea. Oh yeah, there's no I have no idea. Yeah, I'm gonna have yes, to go I to mean, a. It was a huge territory that they covered. So I didn't yes. know how sparsely populated that would have been, or how many different bands there were. There's like what ten or twelve bands or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, over various big spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess historically, like what's been described by various anthropologists, and I guess we accept it, is that you know we're all the way up into Canada, some of these bands, and some that are all the way down in Central America, you mm-hmm. know, and we're sort of following based on like our preference of sustenance. Some of us go further. It's like we, I think, the way that I understood it is we. We're all together in a period of time in like the north, and then we slowly start to migrate, and then some bands stop migrating, but some keep going, you know, throughout the year, and then we come back and join. Like that's the way it's always been described to me. And that's what I I guess maybe I'm also looking for that in history books, but I see that in like Thomas Cavanaugh's book uh, or books about the Comanche. Um, but I have no idea about the numbers. I feel like I always see different numbers, but it's like, you know, I'm sure it's hundreds of thousands, if not way more. I don't know. I mean, if you count the captives. If you count the captives. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. We didn't ask for CDI, CDIB cards. It's like, you're Comanche now. <laughs> so is it based on yeah. a language group? I mean, you know, our our different villages have their own languages, and so we kind of have our own language groups in alaska so is it based on language i hadn't heard that you know i don't know if sunrise knows differently but i mean we you know we all are supposed to speak comanche but i think you know like even the fact that we've got a film in comanche there's still and we had like two language experts one officiated by the tribe one sort of non-official by the tribe but considered to be just as valid perhaps some more valid depending on where you sit the the language debate about what's right grammatically the pronunciation yeah um, (laughs) the actual words you know like i feel like that's you know many tribes have this issue but i feel like ours really stem from the fact that we didn't spend a lot of time with each other throughout the year and probably Mm -hmm. developed our own vocabulary our own way of saying things especially mm-hmm. for interacting with other tribes, um, mm-hmm. probably taking on their inflections, their, their vocabulary, and then coming back. And then, and then there's probably some common language that we use among each other, but then there's probably always a sort of like, well, they don't understand us and they say it this way. And really you're supposed to say it this way. And I feel like that still happens today. So I, I feel like, yeah. yeah. And I think that like, I mean, people 
get tied down in this concept of like the quote unquote tradition. And like, if anything, our tribe in particular, and many tribes, I mean, there's that changes that just changes through time. And like, you know, there's no so-called right period one way to that, that, that this is, you know, this is the way language language, like, um, it evolves, you know, it continues. And, and to think in that way is the right, is probably the best way to think about these things because it's like our cultures evolve too. It's like, if you get stuck in one period, it's like, this is the, the right way, uh, always how buckskin should be, or this is how like a painting should be. And this is a traditional, this is traditional. It's like, to me, like when you look at art or even, you know, it's just, especially art, it's just like, it doesn't work, you know? I was going to say something else. I forgot though. Damn. Yeah. And my theory too is that because your the tribe was such a large tribe going up mm-hmm. to Canada, you can think about regional dialects, and and that's kind of like with you know Mississippi Choctaw versus Oklahoma Choctaw are mm-hmm. are different. Yeah, you know yeah. they're within the same family of language, but it's a different. There's different ways in which they use terms and words, and they say totally. it differently, and they spell it differently. And so I'm sure it would be like that. And even with how you said the population, how it changed, there's a possibility that, you know, they've changed based on where they were. So like if you go to Canada, now they're First Nations people and they probably went off into another tribe. I don't know if you guys ever read that book, Guns, Germs and Steel, I think it's called. But it's about mm-hmm. like how civilizations come to an end. And the the guy used a reference about the Anasazi and how mm-hmm. the Anasazi are no longer around. They're not there anymore. And my theory on that is that they're not no longer there. They probably went out and became a different community, mm-hmm. different group of people, a different culture, but they still continue stay the same. So they're probably Pueblos and they're probably Diné and all those. And that's what they survive usually. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And what is uh, just in, in, in uh, talking about language, just real quick, I wanted, I, I, I wanted to speak about my experience with actual um trying to facilitate language comanche language here in albuquerque with a group of folks and there was such it actually made me it turned me off on language altogether (laughs) i was like i'm not doing this anymore but just that working with the tribe and working with a family that i won't mention and how they had their own concepts of like how this is the right way and uh and and then the tribes telling me something else and and then it was just like, that was a perfect example of like, there's no, I mean, I don't, I was, I was like, there's, I, there's no, I don't know if there's a right way. It's, that becomes more like egotistical and narcissistic to be like, we know the right way. We're of this, we, we teach it this way. And it's like, well, I mean, is that real? Is there really one right way to, to say these words? And don't you want it to survive? And we're going to make up new words. And like, we didn't have the word quasi thaiva, monkey until we probably saw that monkey and then like all of a sudden we add that to our lexicon so it's just like and that's all the way down in mexico you know it's just like so yeah uh, yeah language is, is, is it's a trip it's it's a trip you know it's like the arguments yeah. that people will have about language it just it it boggles my mind it's like they get more interested in like having the argument rather than just like actually trying to uh continue the language and make it survive you know so did yeah, you but, watch it in the Comanche dub? Did you watch Prey in Comanche dub? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. did you think? I, I liked it. First of all, I should say that I really dug the film. <laughs> all that stuff I just set aside. I mean, it was very stylish. It was very cool. I loved it, you know, for what it was doing. 
Uh, it's very empowering. I love to see the uh, the Facebook photos of like the, the the tribe watching it and like everyone's happy and like that's just it warms my heart to see that. I mean, anything inspiring is great for us, right? Um, uh, but yeah, and watching the uh, the Comanche language dub, what do they say? It's like if you uh, you can uh, you can watch a movie and tell if it's good if you don't have to see the, uh, listen to the dialogue, just watching the visuals. And that alone was pretty cool. But hearing the language. Even though I didn't get all of it all, of course, um, words here and there. I did grow up in a Comanche language household with my grandma speaking it. But, um, of course, I, you know, you have to speak it to other people to really, any language really, to know it. But it was really cool. To see, I preferred it that way, to watch it in, in Comanche. Because it's kind of like, it could be a little, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In English, it was kind of maybe a little, it wasn't, it didn't flow as, as a, quick as cool as the as our language you know yeah that's yeah definitely true. one of the criticism of the english dub was that like it was too modern sounding mm -hmm. and it wasn't very like great written dialogue it was just very basic dialogue mm -hmm. it's one of the criticisms mm -hmm. and I, I and i'm not comanche but i do do like to watch it in that in the comanche version because it just mm -hmm. feels more it feels authentic i guess you know you're watching mm -hmm. like you're hearing it, hearing the language, and you know maybe just my own like bias, but I, I like that a lot mm -hmm. better myself. Yeah, it flows better. Yeah, to me. Yeah. Well, my you know there's a couple of movies that are in Inupiaq, and my brother always laughs because, like Fast Runner, the the accents are very French. He says, oh, like, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. because you know they pull from the the up north the Canadian Inuit to come over and do that, so. And I always laugh because my Inupiaq sounds like I've got a southern drawl. <laughs> that's that's Oklahoma cool. Inupiaq. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Chicken fried Inupiaq. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of speaking of language, like uh, Atoli asked about mupits last time, and it's interesting that like that's a word they they use in the movie. I mean, and that's also vernacular. The way it's used, I think, is pretty modern. That we're mm. talking about, you know, like Bigfoot or, you know, something that's kind of a southern monster. Mm. But the fact that th this occurred to me the other day, the fact that they're up north, closer to Canada, the use of the word moopeats was, I think, historically more utilized for like this large owl. There, There is a there's mm. all sorts of stories about this large owl up north that would eat mm. people. You know, and it would come down out of the trees and, it would, you know, talons would come down and what would be left are like, you know, human rain remains and you would see it fly off or whatever. And so I think part of this fear of the owl or like this thing for us in relation to an owl, I've always attributed to that particular story. And I've heard people describe it as moopeats and I've seen it written as that's a moopeats, but that's not really actually how I grew up with the common usage. Mm. Um, but, you know, all this discussion about like differences of language and time period and accuracy of like language then and now, it's making me think that like also it's kind of inaccurate in that way um mm -hmm. but it's inaccurate in terms of uh i guess the way that we talk about movies today mm -hmm. but what's interesting is it is it's similar in that like there's something up in the trees that mm -hmm. comes down and then goes back up to the trees like an owl might 
when it's like dipping down to get its prey and go back up. What the fuck's up with these Indians and all these fucking owls? Dude? It's like, owls got a bad rap. Yeah, it's like not up north, man. I'm telling you, not up north. Woodsy the owl or whatever from those fucking commercials. He better watch his ass. That's the movies right there. Y'all yeah, it becomes like this pan-Indian trope, which I'm always kind of like always looking at with with a skeptical eye. It's like on the one hand, it's like it's cool to use tropes and all this stuff I get, you know, for for storytelling, I suppose, as long as they're not negative ones. But then there's another thing is like we're not all the same. Like that's the whole idea of like we're all we're not all matriarchal and we're not all, you know, we we don't, you know, just we don't all have the same taboos and all this stuff. We're, there's like so many different tribes. We're like, we're not all the same. But I did want to, uh, I was also thinking of just like, in terms of like indigenous futurism, like that, that I've been, uh, this is a great contribution to that, that um, the genre of that, because it's like, um, you, you know, I was thinking I'm, I'm big on this indigenous, indigenous futurism kick, like the, I've been all the ones I've seen recently are just they're they're awesome and they they really like I'm thinking of like um you know of course Blood Quantum and then um um and I can't think of the other ones right now Night but Night Raiders probably. Night Raiders yeah mm-hmm. it's just like it just it's such a really cool vehicle and genre to explore these these really cool ideas and um, yeah I love it it's just like I'm glad that we're at this point cinematically. To, to, to actually make these kinds of movies and kind of explore these ideas, you know, it's, I'm, I love it. I want to see more of them, you know, but that's all I have to say about that. So mm. for you, Jay Snap, I mean, like, uh, give us like your, your quick review of the movie, uh, since you're the, uh, our resident, uh, uh, real life media, indigenous media reviewer that we have on today. So what's your, <laughs> if this was like, like the, the nineties or whatever, whenever they had film critics on TV. <laughs> what would your your thing be? Your your Gene Malton or whatever the fuck his name was. Gene Shalit. <laughs> Gene Malton? <laughs> come out of two of them. <laughs> no, I mean, I liked it. Like I said, I dug it. I thought it was very stylish. It was very, it moved. It was, it was like, it was, the pacing was nice. Um, it's a feel-good story. Um, uh, just that, you knew you're in it's 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 i don't want to say it's a popcorn movie because i don't want to like it's that sounds condescending but you know you're in for something fun when you have that first opening sequence and then you know either tilt the camera tilts up and then prey's just waiting there you know and, the, and you're like oh this is gonna be fun like this is cool you like they're not and um yeah i mean i dug it like two two thumbs up you can't see this people but yeah <laughs> but i like it yeah that's cool. Maybe hopefully they'll have a sequel or something. Looks like they were kind of open to that idea. Did you get to see it on the big screen or a small screen? Oh no, I saw it like in a 32 inch Toshiba Fire TV. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, oh, it was still cool. Screen. It was still cool. Yeah. Was it sitting on top of a console TV by any chance? Yeah, on another big TV <laughs> to keep it traditional. Well, it is odd to me that they chose the hero to be a female. I mean, typically these kinds of movies don't choose a female superhero. There was a white writer and a white director. 
also. And there's nothing. And when I say that, I don't mean that it's it's wrong to do that. But it's like this is. I watched it through that lens almost too. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this is these guys are trying to do something, and that's cool. But it's like it's their, it's through their lens. It's it's through, and this is no uh, knock on the actors and the producers of the project itself. I I enjoyed it, but it was like mm-hmm. it's still filtered. Anytime you filter something through a white lens, it's going to be through their lens, you know. So would you say it's white liberal Hollywood trying to be woke? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> the woke filter. <laughs> no, no, no. Woke no, no. liberal moralists. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. You know, it's it's a white lens. It's a white lens. And I've been on projects where you know you think, well, you know, maybe I can bring something to the table, and like I'm this, he wants to work with me, or she wants to work with me, and, and uh, in the end, it ends up being through a white lens. If you have like a white producer, or if you have like um, someone that's kind of more in charge or whatever. I, in my opinion, it's it's very difficult uh, just on the projects I've worked on to really, I'd rather, yeah, how do I say this? I don't know. I, I personally, if I'm, if I'm doing a project, I, I prefer, if I'm trying to like tell an indigenous narrative specifically, I would prefer to do that with a team that's like indigenous people unless it's like you're employing like an actor or something. And you know what I mean? Like the, the actual, actual creative s- storytelling part, because white people always have these uh, interesting, how do I say it? Interesting, like um, things that they're focused on, you know, um, that they want to talk about. Do I sound like an asshole? I don't know. I feel like I'm telling an asshole. Uh, you are an asshole. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, but I, we did have Jane as the producer, which yeah, I think true. informed it. At least, if like from mm-hmm. like you know from the interviews that I've seen with her talking, mm-hmm. is that she did offer these inputs that people were not even these guys aren't even thinking about. She's like, well, what about this? What about that? Let, we got to bring these guys in. We got to bring these consultants. We got to bring these language people in. So you know, like it, like I said yeah. in that last episode, yeah. what's that? Yeah, and she did awesome with all that. I, th- I definitely think that was Amber Midthumber. Like Amber specifically was brought on because of Jane. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what the role was before, I don't even know if it was, it's never been mentioned that to my knowledge, if it was originally written for a woman or not. Um, but it seems like Jane had a very large influence on it. And um so much so that it's it's interesting to me that like Jane's like in that one shot where like they're around mm-hmm. you know yeah and she's like right yeah. next to Amber mm-hmm. and like you know it's like easy to think it's just a cameo but like I was interpreting it as like oh this is sort of like you know like there's one generation that is now passing the torch basically because this is the coming of age story of like the leadership of the tribe passing it on to the new and the new kind of leadership and it's like Jane is now the person passing it on to Amber a little bit. And it just, you know, I mean, Jane's Jane's had a much clearer through connection to that period of time than I do. Mm-hmm. And I, all of these things made me think this is just sort of like Jane's story a little bit. You know, Amber could stand in for her. And it's only because she's in the position of authority and the, the position of influence and then having the direct connection to selecting Amber 
made me think all those things. None of that I was thinking about Dan or not Jane making decisions, which was interesting. Um, yeah. I might be just jaded from my experiences. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> You're racist, son. You're racist. That's racist. I just had so many like discussions where I was like, well, maybe we could get more of this traditional stuff in, or maybe if you could, you know, I'm really looking at how this ties to like uh, the, to the past and like your traditions. And it's just like, I'm like, yeah, I, it's like a discussion I always seem to have, or, or don't want to have. It's just like, can we just tell tell a fucking story? Like, why do we why why do we have to go? I mean, I realize you're interested in that, like, but uh, yeah, but that's true. I mean, like, that's you know probably also related to your uh, interest in indigenous futurism because like it's about not the past. Mm. You know, that's it's true. like about who yeah. are we going to become. It's not about yeah. horses. It's not about like. You know, buckskin. It's not about eating buffalo. It's about you know, how are we going to be functioning as a business orientation oriented tribe? How are we going to function as like a what language are we going to speak in the future? That's like integrating common vernacular. Mm -hmm. Are we going to be like spiritual with like Zoom? Like <laughs> you know, <laughs> all that is totally. Like, I thought you were gonna do how. Yeah, I don't, how? <laughs> I, oh, thought, oh, I thought you was being spiritual right now, man. Yeah, I mean, all of that, all of that needs to be addressed, and it's mm. slowly being addressed. But also, I think you know, so many of us have ha have been hung up on this because preservation is a very much a part of like surviving right now. Mm -hmm. And I think people get scared when they're like thinking about just becoming present only mm -hmm. letting go of something which i mean it's you you should be scared of that but that's also like part of living and mm -hmm. we don't address that right now i think it would be really cool to if we were going to do if someone's going to do some historical projects which i would be totally into seeing as well if that was from an indigenous team like mm -hmm. an actual indigenous writer mm -hmm. and a director mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what they are interested in mm -hmm. rather than what that white lens is bringing mm -hmm. to the table. Yeah. That's yeah. what I would love to see. That's what yeah. I want to see, you know. Well, yeah, it seems like too. the yeah. whole residential school story seems to be bubbling up. I've seen a couple of different shorts being shot by indigenous crews mm -hmm. hop mm -hmm. up on social media. So I mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I feel like we've all done our origin stories. We've all done our four, you know, first contact story and now we're moving forward through time to another trauma. But it seems like those documentaries have been around for a long time or not a long time, but for a while, you know, I think, yeah, because... I think what, what's going on is sorry to interrupt Jason. Go ahead. No, I'm just, that was it. That's it. That was it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I think what's going on is in, in response to what Jason's saying about like the non-indigenous lens, because you lose translation in you know in the way that you tell a story if it's through a, a the other you know and so when someone's telling our stories through this other lens it does become kind of blurred because now they're telling it from their perspective from their life experience which is totally different than ours and there's maybe legit within what they're doing within their culture but it doesn't fit within the way our stories are told 
And so I feel like that not just past stories of the past, but stories of the present and stories of the future, you get the better story when we have full control and full range of how we tell that story and what we do with that story. And, you know, you see that with reservation dogs and you see that with uh, perfect example, other shows and movies where like Rutherford falls, where the, the natives are able to tell the stories and, and they're able to show that it is relatable. And it's like, I think I've said this before. It's like we as media absorbers or media watchers, whatever you talk about film watchers, TV watchers, we understand basic language of media. And so it's just the way in which we have to interpret it. And so like, you know, when we watch a Bollywood movie, you know, it may be silly and goofy, but there are some of us who understand what's going on. We at least understand enough to know what the story is, because at the end of the day, it's about the storytelling. And so then going back to like the documentaries, that's used to be the main way in which our stories were told by us. Mm. And so we need to get past that to go beyond that and do our fictions and do, if you want to do docs, you get a chance to do a doc. But if you want to do fiction, you get a chance to do fiction. If you want to do a hybrid, you get a chance to do a hybrid. And that's where we need to be. Just real quick, the most fast, the most fascinating thing about going back to this indigenous futurism thing again, is that like, because I, I mean, we have a whole collection of like native trauma DVDs in this library <laughs> And it's like, and it's all real and it's all true. And I myself, you know, know this, you know, my fan, it's in my family, but, <clears throat> and it needs to be told, but it's like, there was, it's, it's refreshing now that we can actually kind of be open, opened up to telling these other stories. That's kind of probably where, I, <clears throat> where my um, fascination lies, be, uh, why my fascination li might lie in indigenous futurism. Cause it's like, we can actually <clears throat> get, explore some of these other ideas now without, cause you see so many, of these dramatic stories and it really you know depresses you <laughs> and it's like oh i know these stories in my own life maybe my mom was in boarding school my grandma was in boarding school like, um yeah it's just like um it's real it needs to be told don't get me wrong yeah but, yeah and it's not the only story that needs to be told yeah exactly because it seemed like for a while that was i would just see that like on these like, you know, because yeah if we sit around with our people our family our friends Mm -hmm. Those aren't the stories we focus on. A lot of our stories oh. are fucking funny stories and yeah. stupid ass stories, yes. ass stories, you know. Yes, and sometimes scary stories. <laughs> and those, those are all the good ones, you know, the the, the, the ones you want to hear. It's interesting that this is what you guys are talking about. I mean, the the linking to trauma is important and needs to be addressed. The fact that we keep recycling back to this narrative is an indication of the, the trauma itself and. And that suggests other ways of healing somehow. And I think there's definitely some kind of cinema that we have that um, I've been perceiving as what I keep calling medicine cinema that kind of responds to this trauma cinema, right? And it's just medicine to put us in a position where we're healing each other. And it's, it's almost overly positive. And it's like, mm. you know, to some degree probably would be perceived as like very minimal in conflict or it's like overcoming the conflict is so simple it could mm -hmm. be easily misconstrued as just sort of like poor screenwriting mm -hmm. but I, I think it's an attempt to like divert the eye from thinking about the trauma and many tribes like that's the that's the mo is like if you don't want to 
if you don't want bad medicine or bad spirits or bad thoughts coming around, you don't talk about them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with the language of cinema, that's like, you know, don't show it. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you show? If you don't show problems and you don't show conflict, then what do you show? You show happiness and sunshine and it's like, oh, this is a Hallmark movie or a kid's film and there's no conflict. So this person obviously doesn't know the basics of screenwriting. And there's like an inherent, you know, Western bias there that is also like we assume that like the the Aristotelian way of thinking about drama, that conflict resides in every interaction is like correct. And again, this is like the perspective of one culture that somehow, you know, broadcast this and influenced every other culture that now tells stories. But there are many ways to tell stories without like resurfacing all of that trauma and and or minimizing it so that it's like, yeah, we we know that it exists, but like let's focus on the things that we can do to change it. Mm-hmm. And um for me, the um the Zoe Hopkins film that's out right now is an example of this. Um I feel like both of her feature films, so Kayak to Clem 2 and then um, the current feature that she's got. I don't know why I'm losing my mind and I can't run, woman, run. You know, it's like, I don't know if you guys have seen this film, but it's just, you know, it's like it's it's a it's a single mother that's trying to learn how to become a better um, better with her body. She like has this. um diabetic coma and it puts her in a a state where she can't be a good mother and then so we see her as she like gets inspired by um a uh a mohawk um athlete spirit that inspires her to run to become healthier and then you know then not only is she's like becoming a better uh, person about her own body and her own identity, but she's like becoming a better parent. We see, like at the beginning of the movie, like her child is like eating junk food and like, you know, not being mobile. And then at the end, it's like everybody is like, you know, having a good day and they're, they're just eating healthy. And it's just so like, it's just about today for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like a version of this. And when I see it on the festival circuit, you know, like I feel like non-indigenous audiences look at it and they're like, oh yeah, that's that's cute. Or like, you know, they align it with like a Hallmark movie, which to some degree structurally, I guess you could see a lot of similarities, but it feels like the agenda here is to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it feels like that's, um, I see that in some films. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that's, you know, part of the future, really. And when we're talking about like yeah. genres the other day, I feel like this is the genre that some people need is just sort of like, you know, a genre that you can zone out to and has a positive message. I mean, this is no different than like, you know, every day on the Disney Channel from like, you know, two to six or whatever. You know, the whole Hallmark channel is this and it's probably related to all of this. It's just not indigenous content. I noticed that a lot with tribally funded films where it's very much a celebration of who we are a Mm. celebration of what we do if it's a historical story it's about someone who did something really positive (laughs) and they don't and my feeling is 
they don't want to show the negativity that happened within their, their experience mm-hmm. because they want to say, this is someone to celebrate. This is someone we want to talk about. This is someone we want to, to tell you that was a heroic person. And, mm-hmm. and then there's also this concept of like, and a lot of our indigenous storytelling, there's not always a quote unquote bad guy. Mm-hmm. And those, and a lot of times those stories are healing stories where they're telling stories about something we need to learn or we need to understand. And it's, almost like plotless sometimes in our indigenous story or at least like within our culture you know sometimes it's just this is why the opossum doesn't have a tail you know and it's just a cute little funny fucking story but it tells you something much deeper right yeah totally i feel like those are things that we maybe have lost the art of i feel like what i'm talking about is like films that like you're talking about tribal sponsored films and those totally exist i see a lot of those and they don't often play well for a wide audience. Um, and, and yeah. you know, part of that is because there's a sense of artistry that is underwhelmed or overwhelmed by like the agenda. And we just need people who can sort of like balance all of those things. You know, like there are many people in the world that think Paddington 2 is like the greatest film on earth. And I'm sure it's because <laughs> it's balancing these things. And that, that film is all just positivity so much so like that there's like almost like no plot also right but it's working and, and, for so many people like adults included like people who love cinema yeah and and that can happen but that's almost like a higher level of storytelling because that's hard to do and make it work it's almost like you know like when uh, we talk about like teaching when people teach poetry they say don't write poems that rhyme and they're not saying don't write poems that rhyme because it's bad, but it is hard to do. And so when you write poems that rhyme, you better be a fucking badass to make it sound great, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Like a rap. Fucking A, man. <laughs> I mean, building upon what you guys are talking about, it's like um, this idea, the, 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 the latest short I showed you, Tully about our old friend um yes i tried to and it, it i tried to create nuance there because it's like i'm telling a story about some about kind of like maybe a stereotype that happens in our cultures it's a friend of ours who had died early from from alcoholism but he was a, a really a great poet and i wanted to tell his story and be able to tell his story without having to like like worry about how that might come across. Like I'm telling this kind of like story about this stereotypical thing that's, you know, about in indigenous cultures, native cultures. But it's like, I felt I wanted to tell that story. I was like, I want to be able to, to, to uh, honor the memory of my friend and tell this, like, you know, this artistic journey that he had gone on. Wasn't a documentary or anything, but, um, but um Go, going back, it, 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 and it's not necessarily, it's inspirational, I would think, I don't know. It's, it, his, I include his poetry and stuff, but it's like, I don't, I didn't want it to be like an after school special. I didn't want it to be like, this is where, don't go wrong here, kids. You know, it's like, it's just like the story of a man who's an artist who happens to be Tahana Otham. Um, but yeah, that's what I try to do in my own work is like be able to, I don't want to say courageously face those things because that's a little much, but just try to be like, 
true to the work you're trying to to the story you're trying to tell. Um, it's it's hard to do that, <laughs> right? And those stereotypical like, like landscapes of storytelling within like alcoholism or diabetes, mm -hmm. it's it's almost that thing where you, sometimes when you're writing them, you're like, oh, should I really write this? Is it going to make shit look bad for our people? Yeah, blah blah blah. Yeah. But then I think like you know like those who are fucking alcoholics. They were like the most fun motherfuckers to be around. They would take you to bars, buy you yeah. fucking tacos, and fucking you know. They might be driving around while you're in the backseat. All, all they might be driving around drunk. You know, falling all over the place. But they, well, like, but they were like the most lovable people that you would know. You know, they were like yeah. always giving, always doing things for you, trying to their like you go to their house. You know, they make sure they cook for you. They make sure they take care of you. So. It's you know, never the best food, but it's like food, you know, it's sustenance. <laughs> sustenance, right. I mean, it's what they had. I mean, it's like, it was probably. Beanie weenies. I don't know. Right, right. Or beanie weenies. Potted meat. Yeah. Hell yeah, fucking potted meat with Tabasco sauce. That shit was good. <laughs> yeah, guess what I had for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I well, love no, that I was thinking about Two Cars, One Night, too. That's a perfect example of, you know, Takawachi Tee's film. You know, it's like, it kind of is, the setup is like, Two young indigenous kids, two Maori kids waiting for their their parents at the bar. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. In the car. And that's trauma informed, but it's not focusing on a trauma, you know? That's sophisticated yeah. mm -hmm. storytelling right mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just like that's almost plotless. It's just hanging out in a car and having fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the parents arrive. Yeah. But it's it's also like that is smart because it's like we all know like the indigenous audience, I mean, like we all know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, the kids kind of don't, but they kind of do. You know, they probably don't have the vocabulary, of the words, or the formal way to think about it. But they understand what's going to happen when they go in. They understand what's going to happen when they leave. But like, that's not what the film's about. The film's about everything around those moments, mm -hmm. and it's like really relying on us to kind of fill in the blanks about trauma. But it's like, I mean, what do we do but with trauma? Well, we like sort of divert ourselves and like we hang out, we have fun, you know. And I, you know, th there's probably the next generation of those kinds of films, you know, like where we have this evolution of like movies in you know wide, wide release white cinema, where it's like the the woman no longer has to suffer for being like, you know, uh, sexually active. Like a progressive film, the woman can make her liberal sexual choices, and she's not she's not chastised for it at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not sequestered into like crazy town. She's not mm -hmm. beaten. It's just a woman being liberal in like the best circumstance. Like that's you know, the Lena Dunham film is like that, and like she found a way to you know present the real issue of somebody who is like maybe going into some extremes but then mm -hmm. has found a way to curb it and is like able to live I feel like also like I, I'm always thinking about Breaking Bad as like the alternative story about why um, recovery formal systemic assumptions of recovery like going to group therapy and getting out of the drug system, finding a buddy out in the real world, how that doesn't work for everybody. Like Jesse's stories about somebody who that whole system doesn't work for, 
like the world doesn't work like that all the time. And especially I think for our people, it doesn't work like that for many different ways. Mm-hmm. And and it that's an amazing thing that gets overlooked for what like the extremity of who Walt is. But I think like uh, Jesse's story is so amazing that like he's able to survive the system. And it's an argument that like an alternative can work that um, not everybody can fit into these rules and expectations. And so like, we probably need somebody who can make films, you know, about trauma in a way that's like these other alternatives, you know, somehow. Uh, I want to see that indigenous um, um, Lena Dunham film you're talking about. Like, I want to see that feminist take. Um, yeah. I would love to see that. I would love to see a female mm-hmm. filmmaker, right? Direct mm-hmm. that story. Mm-hmm. That would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was almost the direction that this um, recent res dogs episode was going almost. oh yeah 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 i could see that as a though. feature yeah we need more yeah it really resonated with all of us resonated yeah. you see what you did there see what i did there <laughs> i know i mean oh my gosh on social media auntie power for the matriarchs Woo, go girl <laughs> our yeah, version I don't of girl boss Girl boss, <laughs> Angela, you got to be the one who writes that that that, that girl empowered baby. It's all on, it's all on your shoulders. Oh, great! It's all on you. You're the woman. No You're the one woman who can do it. <laughs> no, no, no. no pressure. So, I don't remember Johnny Gray Eyes. Do you guys remember that movie? If it kind of leaned into that, it was that like in the aughts, I believe. It was an independent film. Yeah, yeah two, was, from like, two thousand. Okay. Yeah, a le- uh, a lesbian woman, and I think she like like commits crimes, and it's almost like a bond. I don't even remember it honestly, but in my head, it's like a Bonnie and Clyde type movie. But I can't remember. But more like independent film style, you know. Johnny Great Eyes. Huh. Yeah, is that right? Is that what it is? Uh, this is the synopsis. As her younger brother schemes to commit robbery, a jailed American Indian finds love with another woman. Okay. Wow. What and that that sounds ahead of its time. Yeah, two thousand. Well, yeah. if we can find it, maybe we should watch it. I do kind of want to get some insight on like what your uh, sunrise, what your part was in the movie Prey. Like, what was your role in all that, and how you got into it and all that? Yeah, my role, quote unquote. Well, I didn't have. A, I don't. I don't know what my role, like the role. I guess was. I mean, in the credits, it's just special thanks. You know. The mm-hmm. functioning was just sort of uh, feedback. And I, and I think the way that Jane phrased it, she didn't articulate it in one kind of statement, like a title or something, but she said she wants somebody with uh, somebody who's Comanche, somebody with like an experience in production to be able to look at the material and see how it works on a level of filmmaking from that perspective. And how does it, does it work? Does it not? So like that was looking at several rough cuts. And the first one, I, I don't, you know, like when a rough cut happens, my understanding, especially with like with the DJA, is that there's a very limited time where very few people kind of look at the rough cut because they got to go right into cutting and they only have like, you know, however many weeks, 10 weeks mm-hmm. or something. Uh, but I saw it at a stage where there was very minimal visual effects 
and they were going to go into reshoots or shooting additional. So like my comments were meant to help clarify what needs to be shot, what needs to be recut to help clarify whatever I feel like is working from my perspective, I guess. So it was like a, you know, it was a long session of just like, you know, and I like had a lot of notes and I watched all the movies over and I, you know, I, I watch the film and I watch all the movies and I go back to the film and I watch another movie and I go back to the film. And then it was just like note after note of no. And it was like, there were a lot of technical things. Like there just need to be more shots of seeing the foot or like the footprints, not big enough. Like some were very basic like that. And then some were like the things I was talking about, like the fact that she's looking at a, a root means something to me as a Comanche. It's like, I'm now I know which band of Comanche that is. Um, what I think is happening in terms of relationship with the animals, um, what I think the tribe, how they would respond to the change in leadership and who would be saying what, and would she be speaking at this point? And, you know, there were some scenes earlier where it's like the interaction between the young men and the, and, and Nadu seemed to not make sense to me uh, or like what she was doing. It felt like in one of the first cuts, she immediately was just sort of like hunting food. And was not making a choice to like to to separate herself from like the expectations of a young woman at that time. And after I made that statement, then they shot all this footage of like you know collecting food and like the baby in the cradle board was a little bit more clear. And like the fact that it's also crying was like something that was strengthened as like a symbol that she didn't want to be a child stuck crying and doing something that she didn't want to do because she was just told to do. So you know that happened, and then I. At some point, I looked at another version when it's the first audience, whenever that was in March, I guess. They did like one for the tribe, and then I gave more feedback. And that's pretty much it. I don't know what you would call that. That's a lot. You're the man, son. Special, special thanks. I wish. Special thanks. Special thanks. <laughs> if it wasn't for you, that movie would not be successful. All that input you put, it was all on you. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I wish. I Get wish. This man, a Pray part three or whatever. <laughs> part two. <laughs> I wish. You know, I mean, like a lot of it is Jane, you know, you know, like a lot of the things that were working that were already there were Jane, you know, and it's just, and just, you know, looked at the things that seem to be working. And I'm so, yeah. That Juanita Patapony thanks was really, yeah. I was like, oh man. Yeah. Man, I was like, yeah. to those, I don't know, to those, to those that don't know, she was, very uh, well respected in our community, and she she was my, my primary point place. One of the primary places for the point people for the Comanche uh, Film Festival when when I had been there a few times. Her and um, I can't remember her name right now. And that Arkakita, yes, Annette yeah. Arkakita. Mm -hmm. But that was really just like I was like, oh man, right mm -hmm. in the field. Mm -hmm. I saw that name. Mm -hmm. And and speaking to your your. Um, experience with the the post how they were still do, the, the post was happening <clears throat> i've noticed i've in my own just watching the reservation dog screeners like i get a couple as a mm -hmm. critic the one mm -hmm. i'm surprised how quick the turnaround mm -hmm. is like yeah. they're like they're like uh these that we're sharing with you are not we don't have color and sound yet mm -hmm. it was just to let you know and i'm like mm -hmm. you guys are screening in like a week or two or mm -hmm. you know streaming this like really quick so mm -hmm. it's fascinating to see like the the big the big world how how quick that turnaround is 
Yeah, and it's really complicated, especially the season of Res Dogs, where it's like they've got a lot more visual effects like that. That mm-hmm. Erica Tremblay went with the uh, roof line, you know, like, and that what happens at the end, like that's really complicated to achieve in like whatever a week. Like that's crazy to me. Are you working uh, on those sets too? I only worked on the pilot, and I I couldn't work on this other season. Your but teacher. the pilot was fun. Mm-hmm. Pilot was fun. Yeah, Angela knows she was there the whole time. And you were in fun. the music video, right? You were dancing in the music video. Yeah, I was also Cheese's stand-in for the pilot. BTS behind the scenes. BTS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that like I have never seen a better funded series, but also like a pilot. You know, I like, mean, I am in awe of Liz Tan. I mean, wow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. She's the first it, AD. She was, I mean, on top of it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just the complicated things they had to do, like just the the logistics of the truck, you know, like the, the chip truck. Very complicated oh effects. That was yeah. fun. Yeah. They brought out all- that, that black car, the chase car. Did, yeah, were you on set for that? Yeah, that was uh, so yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that, they shipped that out from LA. I think they said. Yeah, we definitely don't have one in this region of the United States that mm-hmm. can accommodate. I guess sometimes we do in Chicago, but I think the one that was in Chicago was booked on some Marvel thing or something. And, yeah, and then all just those like chip bags that were like custom yeah, made. Yeah, all the chip bags are custom oh my made. Gosh. Yeah, but then also like the real chips. Like when you went to uh, craft services, you know, like normally on a movie or TV, like craft services is like you know prepackaged peanuts and you know like fruit or whatever but this was like you know state-of-the-art felt like there was no budget it felt like you know like the, just like steak and burgers like you know and it just <laughs> the kept food coming. was amazing <laughs> yeah the food at craft services was better than the food that was from like the kitchen sometimes <laughs> yeah and it was and since it was covid they would bring it in little indiv- individually packaged <laughs> right yeah things that you'd get your own little serving mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and they delivered it because they didn't want everybody to be mm-hmm. in the tent at the same time mm-hmm. or at craft services at the same time so mm-hmm. they'd come around would you like a snack why yeah. yes i would yeah. <laughs> but that that was my first experience with covid like like the active what happens when they fear that you've got covid like i you know i came down with like thank god it was just like a throat thing like i was just like mm-hmm. under the weather but like going through the whole process of like, oh, you you have similar symptoms, go away, and it, and then like the the things that the medical team did, like if my insurance paid for that, like I would have no more insurance by the end of the day. And it's just they like, were the mean, fact- man. If you showed up with the wrong mask or something, they oh were like, right, oh man, they <laughs> right. would hunt yeah. you down. Yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> amazing what like the disney machine is able to accomplish mm-hmm. so of course i guess you know that's why the, this short turnaround they can make all sorts of things happen but there were a lot of practical effects in that pilot yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's true which is different than this well i guess i mean like the last couple episodes i mean mm-hmm. every now and then there's something that's not but even bear when he was rising up you know we watched him rig right. all of that right yeah mm-hmm. that was cool yeah, that was cool. That was interesting to see. I mean, like they tried it three or four different times also. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see them um the amount of time they spent on just figuring it out on the day. That was yeah. interesting to me. Like if that if that happened on like 
another movie, like if that happened on the Scorsese movie, there's something wrong. There would have been like, you know, months of tests to figure that out. And it's like stuff just slams in on the day. You do it the way that you trained to do it for weeks and then you're done. Really? Yeah. Hmm. But it was, you know, I mean, TV, you don't have time. It's like, I get, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. But that was interesting to see. Mm-hmm. In effect, refined and refined. Well, there was some chatter online. Tully was telling me about the prey being a knockoff or stealing from mm-hmm. Mohawk. Mohawk, yeah. Yeah, I saw that a long time ago when it, was, when it came out. Uh, and I remember I was very offended by it, but I was also like super interested in it. <laughs> it's on Amazon. You watched it like I did. I, I found <laughs> yeah. it. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I lost two hours of my day. Yeah. <laughs> Every it doesn't sound like you liked it. <laughs> well, it's Kanye Tio, the same person that's in um, Letterkenny. Mm-hmm. And now R- Rutherford Falls, and I love her. She's amazing. She was not in this. I don't know. Yeah, what no. Happened, yeah, right. But she's also what in a possessor. Waste. Yeah, what a waste. Mm-hmm. What it felt like waste it was all like production design and just sort of like editing and like filters. And everything was close up. Yeah, everything was close up. And I was like, yeah. why? Why are we doing this? I don't but really the only remember. Similarity was like her makeup. She was wearing a, a woolen mini skirt, number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As one I, does. Yeah. <laughs> and they were traipsing around, obviously, in some, you know, park or something. Right. <laughs> and then hit up like a couple of like those recreation historic places for for a couple of locations. But it was such a revenge movie. Which I don't think yeah. Prey is a revenge movie at all. Prey is not a revenge film. Yeah. And then Mohawk has no alien in it. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, well, that was like, like, if you squint really hard, maybe. <laughs> it's <says a> little <laughs> bit. She's got the, uh, the, the paint on her eyes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she has axe. But, it's, it's a, but that's about it. <laughs> so maybe it's just but the guy a french guy shows up well they're all english they're all english guys that show up that kill her two lovers and whatever and she's she's find out that she's pregnant but they shot her anyway and then oh wait she's not dead and then she finds a skull (laughs) yeah she puts she wears it and she goes after the the big bad guy and i was just like what is happening i don't even know what is happening it's kind of a mess (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't even remember the plot i remember it was just sort of like it just seemed like it was about violence it was the yeah. war of 1812, 1812 and right the british the, i guess the mohawk were trying to be neutral mm-hmm. this is what how they explained it in the film mm-hmm. and the u.s they were trying to force them to be on their side but instead of the french side but they weren't so they were punishing him and uh, i don't know I mean, that doesn't, I mean, the only similarity is that like close to the time period, not even really, you know, it's like hundred year difference, you know, that it's an indigenous person in the forest and there's a French person. (laughs) There's costumes. They've got costumes. It's a movie. Just like the other movie. (laughs) It's a movie. Just like the other movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's we kind of talked about everything. <laughs> so yeah, any we did. thoughts or final thoughts or feelings or anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? How much prey? I know Jason's going to go watch Mohawk tonight and yeah, <laughs> talk about how much prey ripped off Mohawk. Misery loves company. I'm 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 I was uh, glad to hear Sunrise's thoughts on on this movie because I'd actually I was curious. And I didn't even know how much input you had in it, so that's really fascinating. Uh, I yeah, I like that movie. It was really, it was really cool. I hope we get more of those. You know how I dig this indigenous futurism, man. It's like let's. I hope we can get some more people make make some more of these cool movies. I don't know. I'm just uh, glad that I was able to hang out and not have to think about my other problems in the world. <laughs> <laughs> hey, me too. Me too. <laughs> First week of classes all around, right? <laughs> yeah, first week of classes. I yeah, will say, yeah. yeah, I will say that it is really nice to be able to like. I feel like we could continue talking about any of these subjects, and that's a great sign that we could talk about almost multiple kinds of indigenous media at the same time. When in the past it felt like we could talk about one thing, and we like talk about that one thing to death. But, yeah, yeah, it's such a great like renaissance or whatever's happening now. There's like this great moment. I'm pleased that we can talk about multiple things. I hope other people are able to talk multiple th multiple things. If they if they're listening and they haven't seen this stuff, they should go watch this stuff. Even Mohawk, um, so that <laughs> they're informed when they talk about it <laughs> with other people, especially Mohawk. Yeah, but like definitely indigenous uh, futurist films. Um, I would say if if nobody's seen Run Woman Run, they should watch that film. They should watch Kayak, Kayak to Clem Two if they haven't seen that. There is uh, an indigenous maker that we mentioned last time very briefly but fox maxi if i'm going to mention anything like i feel like fox maxi is an indigenous futurist who does experimental work um, did a film called san diego about quarantine and kind of mixed all this sort of like meme and instagram and snapchat language with like surveillance footage and like standing rock footage and activist streaming history and it felt like that was a futurism uh, that was really cool and i think she's working on a feature and i really would love people to support her work because i feel like it gets overlooked i just wrote a review on this um these white guys who did a, a movie called on standing ground about did you see it no dapple yeah it's really not that great <laughs> <laughs> well, in the review, I, I mean, I kind of, yeah, people are going to stop letting me see things. <laughs> yeah, just be like that. On Standing Ground is what it's called? On Standing Ground, yeah. It's not out yet. It's not out yet. Sacred it's Ground. Like, on Sacred Ground. On Sacred Ground. ground. Yeah. On Standing Ground is an interesting title. I was thinking, stand, I was combining Standing right. Rock. Standing Rock, Standing right, ground. yeah. A journalist and oil company executive find themselves on opposite sides of the fight during the construction of the contentious dakota access pipeline it's all white people yeah. with smatterings of uh some native actors my review <laughs> my, re my review just went up on grist today i'd be curious to see what you guys think about it when it comes out when there's when they eventually stream i bet i will i bet i, see, I will see a screener for festival season coming up yep okay thanks for listening we'll catch you next time same indigenous time same indigenous channel don't just keep it real, keep it real and digital.